Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of December 16, 2018. This is the season for parties and fun, and the Council in Kentucky is celebrating in style. On Tuesday, December 11, Patty Cox and I traveled to Owensboro to attend the party sponsored by the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired. As is always true when we go to Owensboro, we had a great time visiting with lots of friendly people. There was a delicious dinner of ham and fried chicken, potato salad and green beans, and chocolate pie and banana pudding for dessert. Over 20 people were at the party. Savvy has a great lineup of activities planned for the new year. So if you live near Owensboro, be sure to find out more and get involved. Just call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418, and he'll be glad to share all the details about their upcoming events. The Bluegrass Council of the Blind, KCB's sister ACB affiliate in Kentucky, had their party on Thursday, December 13, and Adam Rushville and Beth Strickland traveled to Lexington to share in the fun. Over 40 people attended and shared good food, good music, and the holiday spirit. For more information about Bluegrass upcoming events, call them at 859-259-1834. The Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind is planning their party for Friday, December 21. Everyone in the Covington, Cincinnati area is welcome to attend. For more information, contact Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. Three speakers from the recent KCB conference and convention are featured on Soundprints this week. And since their subjects are somewhat related, we have placed them all on page two. First, Jenny Tyree of the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation talks about job opportunities for people with vision loss. Jenny is well known for her excellent work in helping to make jobs accessible for people who are blind or visually impaired. Then Cora McNabb, the new Executive Director of the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, talks about the recent merger of the Office for the Blind and Office of Voc Rehab and how that merger will provide services to Kentuckians with disabilities going forward. The third presentation is by Devin Foster, Disability Determination Adjudicator, Commonwealth of Kentucky. When people apply for Social Security Disability, they often think that the determination of eligibility is made by the Social Security Administration. Devin explains the way the process really works who really makes the determination of eligibility, and what individuals can do if they disagree with the determination. The speakers are introduced by Rick Bogus, who, at the time of the convention, was president of the Savvy Chapter in Owensboro and secretary of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. And on page three is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Okay, this afternoon we've got a good program for you. Uh, we have with us uh, this afternoon, I assume you're here, uh, the new OVR and services for the visual uh, visual impairments. Uh, with us this afternoon we have Cora McNabb, who's the executive director, and Jenny Tyree, who's employer relations specialist, Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Boy, that's hard to say that this year, I'm, uh, uh, from in Frankfurt, 
and they're going to share information about the new, what's going on new at OVR, I guess is the best way to put it. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm trying to look at my Apex with one hand, so bear with me. One-handed reader, which I can do that. Alright, I think I'm okay. Um, I think I'm okay. I pretty much know what I'm saying anyway, but... Um, <clears throat> to those of you that um, know me, which is pretty much everybody in the room, um, yeah. So, I, um, I've been on leave for a little while, glad to be back. Um, I've been back about three months, and in the three months, I tried to focus this last couple months on trying to develop some partnerships, which I've been really kind of wanting to do for the last year, but things have been a little precarious in my life, so I haven't been able to do that. So, um, in the last three months, I've tried to come up with um, work experiences, different employment opportunities related to, like, maybe a training program and things like that, because the thing that I've seen out there, there's a lot of entry-level jobs, and there's some jobs that might um, require some college, some education, some formal training. But so many of the jobs that I come across are just entry level and they just really aren't the best fit for, you know, us guys. So I want to try to think outside the box and come up with some ideas that um, might be something that either A exists or B that we might have to work together with other partners to create. So. Um, the three things I'm going to talk to you about today is going to be, um, the first one, these are all work experiences, and then one of them is a training program. So the first one is with um, Kentucky Anna Works. So Kentucky Anna Works is, um, this, this program is for youth 16 to 24. We've had two people go through it. It's a paid internship. And the one thing that I've found with a lot of the people that I get referrals for and um, people across the state that I see at the McDowell Center, a lot of these people really don't have a strong work history, which is nothing surprising. But, you know, to just do a direct hire into employment isn't always the best fit. So a lot of these people need a stepping stone. So that's the gap that I've seen over the last couple of years, and that's what I was trying to bridge coming up with some of these other ideas. So with Kentucky Anna Works, um, they have a lot of different employers. I've got a list that I can email people. Um, I really didn't bring a lot of paper. I'm not big on paper. I figure most of you guys aren't either, so... Um, but if anybody's interested, I can email, um, you just give me a call, shoot me an email, and I'll provide the locations for you. But the good news about this um, Kentucky and it works is that we've now got pretty decent relationships with them, with these two placements that we did place. They worked for uh, 12 weeks, they did get paid, and for both of these two people, it was the first time they've ever been paid in any kind of job period. Now, neither one led to a direct hire. Um, they're not necessarily um, for that purpose. It really is to give people in that age group, disabled or other, um, the opportunity to work, 16 to 24-year-olds. Now, from that, um, I uh, contacted one of their partners who really um, they really don't do a lot with, but I thought, well, maybe um, this um, company or agency would be somebody we could partner with to develop the same type of thing, but for people over 24, because, you know, not everybody's 16 to 24, okay? Me either. So anyway, I wouldn't fit in that category for 30 years, but anyway, um, so, but this is with Catholic Charities. Now, we've, we're placing our first person there. The good thing about Catholic Charities, they're very open to working with us. This can actually be um, an employment opportunity and or volunteer. Right now, I'm working with the volunteer coordinator. They've got opportunities in food prep. Um, they've got opportunities in cooking. They've got opportunities in sales. They've got opportunities in horticulture. They actually have their own 
garden where they you know grow their food and cook their food. Um, uh, they actually uh, prepare food for homeless and not just that, but they also have a kitchen and a cafeteria. They have um, light clerical, answer the phone, um, you know, those type of tasks. So right now, the person that we have is going to be the clerical person, and I've got a, another guy on tap from Lexington who I evaluated who I think I'm going to um, shoot for maybe the horticulture area. Now, again, these are volunteer opportunities that can lead to employment. Um, I have not met with the employment specialist yet um, with the uh, Catholic Charities because we're trying to get our foot in the door and get these two uh, volunteer situations kind of successful and let them kind of see what they think about uh, the consumers we've sent. And then then it was going to kind of bridge the gap about um, direct hire. But right now, we're strictly looking at the volunteer opportunity. Now, <clears throat> for those of you who um, kind of like tech information and tech stuff, this next thing is actually an opportunity for training. Um, if anybody can see, uh, does anybody know what Salesforce is? Hands, yes, no's? Okay, so a few yeses. So, um, for those of you who don't know what Salesforce, it's basically a, um, uh, it's kind of like iCloud where businesses can put all their data up on this um, platform that's called Salesforce. And um, I just kind of ran across this indirectly and Bosma, which we all heard of them. Um, so they um, actually, bought this software for their own personal business so they could actually try to manage their nonprofit. Now while doing that, they realized how accessible it was. So what they've developed is a class. It's an 18, 16 to 18 week class. They do their screening themselves. So it's all remote. This is the good news. How many people always want in-home jobs, in-home training? Well, here you go. It's JAWS, it's JAWS friendly, speech friendly, um, large print speech, either or. Um, so um, the trainers they have now, they've got one totally blind JAWS user and a low vision Zoom text user. So that's actually the trainers. They've only had one class. They started their second class in October. The third class is in April 19. So I don't really know exactly how this is going to go in the long run, but it does sound like it is at least an opportunity. It is speech friendly. It is out of the home training and work, both out of the home. We do have a girl from Somerset that is a transplant, I forget, I think from Texas or something. But anyway, so she's went, through, she's going through this program currently right now in October, when they just started October. Um, I think she is a Zoom text user, um, but um, she's getting ready to start her internship when this uh, program is over. So that is actually somebody from Kentucky. She's got diabetic retinopathy and she's actually going through this training right now. So. I've only talked to somebody at Bosma one time, um, trying to get them to send me some more information, kind of what they're looking for in terms of candidates. They did say you have to be an excellent JAWS user to do this. So, And again, you'd be kind of like a system administrator over um, a company that uh, has their sales information on the Salesforce platform. So, Anyway, it's not going to be for everybody, but there might be a few out there that might think this is something challenging they might be interested in. If you're interested, shoot me an email or a phone call and I'll talk to you more about it then. So the rest of the opportunities I have, um, I've got some Metro Louisville positions, I've got two clerical positions that I'm looking for somebody for, and then I'm getting quite a few from the water company. So anyway, if anybody's interested in any of those things, they can give me a call. Um, everything else is pretty much entry level. Um, and of course, I'm willing to talk to anybody about those opportunities as well. Okay, thank you all very much.
Good afternoon. I'm Cora McNabb, and I was the former acting executive director for Office of the Blind, and I'm now the executive director of the combined agency, the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. And Becky Cave is um, working right alongside with me um, in the, the new combined agency. I want to say to you, I'm so excited there's so many of you here today. I told Carla, it's so good to see so many um, individuals because the advocacy organizations are so um, important. And I hope that you all know that and how much we value you and the relationship that we have with you. So um, I'm really excited to see um, such a large group here today. So I want to um, talk to you a few minutes and give you some time to ask questions, but we are almost two months into being um, a combined agency. Um, it's been difficult, especially for some of the um, Office for the Blind staff that were with the agency for such a long time. Um, you know, some have adjusted better than others. Um, it doesn't seem like the service delivery is a bit different. Things have gone on the same as um, always, um, but it, it is um, a change for us. So um, we've been very, very busy. I know sometimes people call me and send me emails and it takes me a while to get back. It's because we just have so many things going on. Our primary focus the last two months has been training. Of, of staff um, and we've had some face-to-face -face trainings and we've had uh, two Zoom trainings and I well actually I think there's been three rounds of Zoom trainings on different things um, order of selection and the case management system just all kinds of training for staff to get them comfortable um, um, both all the staff there um, and I can do a little brief um, overview of the structure. I've done that several times, but just so you know, we have three uh, blind services um, divisions in the field. Now we have always had two regions, but we added an, another one to strengthen that. And we're, we are getting ready to hire a Central Kentucky Blind Services Manager. Alan Gullett is still the manager over the um, East region, and Mitzi Knight remains the manager over the West region. And all of the the counselors uh, sit under will sit under those three managers. We um, we were calling our VR counselors blind services VR counselors, and and we decided to give them the nickname of the RCBs, and so they're the rehab counselors for the blind and visually impaired. So um, we are, we have posted, I think, um, eight positions now, two more just posted over the weekend. So we are continuing to, to hire um, ad staff, which is a good thing. We haven't been able to do that in a long time. Um, we're getting ready um, to, we have selected the blind services division director um, I can't tell you who that is until it's official, but that I can tell you it's an internal person that worked, had worked for Office for the Blind in the past. So 
they have that experience and expertise. So we will be hopefully announcing that within the next couple of weeks. The, the McDowell Center facility manager position that's vacant from where Steve Dealey um, retired, I got 47 applicants for that position. Wow. Yeah. So I was telling Jenny, you know, I don't know how many of you are familiar with state personnel, but they have certain procedures you have to go through. So I had to go through each one of those individually and identify their skills and abilities. Um, and we're getting ready to interview for that. I think we're going to interview 12 of the 47 to, to start with. Um, we had a lot of internal um, candidates with experience, and we had some external candidates as well. Um, so I did want to just give you a little update on the personnel uh, type things. Um, I have I have had some individuals ask me about the State Rehab Council. Um, as, you, as you know, we had to abolish both councils and reestablish a new council. And um, those uh, individuals that applied, we sent all the applications to the governor's office and we're waiting to hear. We really think with the holidays, um, it'll probably be the first of the year before we get back anything on that. But that is still in process. I can tell you right now, um, total number served of the combined agency statewide is around 16,500. Um, a thousand of them are in the blind services division. Um, so that's the total number, number that we're serving right now. When we combined the agency October 1, we took everybody off the waiting list. Everyone was, um, was sent a letter or called about receiving services. So we, we entered in with no one on the waiting, waiting list for services. Now we have around close to 300 people during October and November that have applied and are on a waiting list. So now what we'll begin to do is look at um, how many individuals are being referred, how many are determined eligible for a couple of months, and then we hope to begin to open some categories um, moving forward. But we want to be cautious, um, you know, going forward. And we, we, have, we meet weekly and then monthly, um, twice a month, the fiscal staff meet with us and we look at the, the budget and, and the money. Um, we did already receive our awards from um, the federal government um, that came in for um, services, for this year's services. So it's a good thing that on a federal level they had passed a budget for us so that we didn't have to wait on our money. Um, I wanted to um, talk just a little bit about um, pre-employment transition services and to let you know Janelle Turner has always been the individual that has oversaw um, any of the specialized um, services for pre-employment transition students and so we will she will continue in that role and she will continue to um, be a part of insight um, the post-secondary ed camp that we hold at moorhead she will also continue to be the contact um, on the deaf blind project in the summer 
the PATH program at the McDowell Center in the summer, and then she's also still will be the liaison with the Kentucky School for the Blind. And she, um, because of her involvement in the Deaf Blind Project, she was invited um, by UK to go with them to Asheville, North Carolina this week and receive haptics training um, for the deaf blind, which I wasn't familiar with haptics training. I don't know if any of you all are in the room. Yeah. You are. So um, that was quite, she was really excited about that. So I'm, I'm anxious to hear from her when she returns. But I did want you to assure you that all those programs will continue operating. Um, independent living, um, older blind is um, probably, um, Gay gave a report about that um, last week to me, and they're serving right now around 500 individuals. Um, there, there is a waiting list for independent living, older blind services, and, you know, the staff are, <coughs> were able to serve all 120 counties last year. So... They serve someone in every county, seven people, the whole state. So that has been really exciting. Um, we, a couple of grants that we still have is the Career Pathway Grant. And when Jenny was talking about Kentuckiana Works and some of the projects they've done with that, that has been through um, that Career Pathway Grant and um, so some of the activities with that. And so um, that grant still has two more years. And um, at this point, um, they're concentrating on adults and kind of shying away from students because we have so many pre-employment transition uh, services activities that are going on in the school system. Another thing that Janelle did was she arranged a training um, with the um, Kentucky Career and Technical Colleges um, and with the school system, with the VI teachers and the, the, <coughs> the field consultants. She set up a one-day training in October um, on pre-employment transitions and to train those staff that are going into the schools and working with the VI teachers. So that was a, was a real successful training as well. Then I'll give you a little bit of update on Kentucky Business Enterprises. Corey wasn't able um, to be here today. He has been at uh, Blast in San Antonio, Texas. I was telling Jenny, I got an email from him Wednesday morning, and he said, good morning, it's 22 degrees in San Antonio, and we have a fire emergency, and there are five of us outside with, our, with white canes on the street, so... You know, San Antonio this time of year should have been a lot warmer than that. Well, sir, I lived there for a while. It should have been. Yes. <laughs> so this is the first year that um, Kentucky Business Enterprise has worked with the Kentucky School for the Blind, working together um, um, to promote the, the vending program. And... Um, Kentucky School for the Blind has opened a student-run store to introduce the students to running a business. And um, this has also been paired with a classroom-based entrepreneur class there. And Corey and Janelle had, were a part of, of working with them on that. 
And there are plans um, as it grows for the KBE vendors to participate um, in these classes as mentors as well. Um, the next steps that he has planned is to put a vending machine in KSB that will help teach students how to operate in the vending world. So um, he, he's excited about that. And then he, this year they did start um, a, oh, I forgot how long the class is, Jen. Eight weeks. Eight weeks. An eight-week program at um, JCTC for new vendors, and we have six vendors that are enrolled in that class. We've had a little bit of bumps along the way with the class, adjusting it. This is a new venture for, for them. It's a, it's a more intensive training for the vendors. And so, um, you know, they'll, they probably will finish up a little bit before Christmas. I think Jenny's been involved in that as well. <clears throat> at least the classroom part of the, of the course. They still will have some on-site training and, um, that they will have to do for that. So um, you all may have heard that we took over a couple of the cafeterias in Frankfurt, and um, that's been exciting. They're building a new building downtown Frankfurt. Won't have a cafeteria, but we'll have a vending location in that. So I think that building will probably be completed sometime next summer and so they're um, he's working hard to expand the locations for the blind vending program so I know that was a lot of information I'll be glad to take any questions that you all might have good afternoon considering your current budget um, that has come from the federal government and knowing that, that there's some folk in the federal government uh, that have a proclivity towards uh, mocking the disabled. I'd like to know how do you feel about the sensitivity um, that has come from the federal government for uh, the visually impaired, the blind in particular? Well, first I can say that on a state level, I'll talk about the federal in a minute, but on a state level, I feel more supported in this administration than I have any administration. Um, so that has um, probably the last year and a half, two years, have, have really um, been very positive. So I will say that. And uh, as you know, Governor Bevan um, started the Work Matters Task Force, and now we have an Employment First Task Force, and there are 20... 24 members on um, that task force, and it is to um, talk about working and people with disabilities. So I'd have to say for our state, um, the climate right now is very good. Um, politically, probably the thing that I worry about the most is um, there is a movement to move um, rehabilitation services under the Department of Labor. And so that, that is probably the, one of the most concerning things that I have. You know, the Department of Labor, oh, there are the, the four titles in WIOA, Title I, Title II, and III can serve anybody, correct? Um, and we know that Department of Labor um, oversees a lot of those programs. 
Um, but our title only serves people with disabilities. And so if they move us under the Department of Labor, um, that probably is something that's the most concerning to me. With the, with the combining of the agencies and the fact that there are a rising population of older people, and I mean, you're already getting, having a waiting list for services for older people. Are there plans to hire additional staff to meet that need so that maybe that waiting list can go away sooner rather than later? Well, if you know Gay Pennell, had, and you know her very well, if she has her way, that certainly will happen. But um, yes, I am looking at ways that we can, um, will be able to hire more independent living older blind counselors. Um, as you know, that I, I've said before, our basic support money for employment cannot be used for that. So we have to find money outside of the small older blind grant that we receive. So um, that definitely is on my radar screen, mine and Becky's both. We don't have voicemail at the McDowell Center, so um, I'm going to give you my email and phone number. My phone number is 502-429-4460. No, no need to give an extension because we have a voicemail. Um, hopefully that will change. Um, so email is Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y dot T-Y-R-E-E -E, at K-Y dot gov. And if you really want to find me, I guarantee at least two or three people here has got my cell phone number, so it's always the best, well, the best way to get me. But email is a good second, so, Laura? I was going to say, we ordered a new phone system for McDowell yesterday, so. You know, when we had the wind a few weeks ago, it kind of brought that old system down. So, my um, email address is C-O-R-A dot M-C in ABB at ky.gov. And you can reach me in central office at 502-564-4754. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate uh, the update. APH is nearby explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Next is... Are you disabled? Who decides? Uh, Devin Fo uh, Foster, uh, who's disabled, uh, Disability Determination, boy, it's hard to read from my left hand, Admin uh, Disability Determined Administrator in, uh, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How's everyone doing today? Good. Okay. My name is Devin Foster. I work for the Disability Determination Services, Commonwealth of Kentucky. We are the state body that handles and processes all of Social Security and SSI disability cases. Basically, we are a state paid agency that is federally funded. I've worked here for eight years. I process Social Security disability, SSI disability, child
childhood disability, and also complete uh, continuing disability reviews. Once a person is allowed for disability, every three to seven years or so, they come under review as per federal law to see if the conditions have changed, gotten any worse, gotten any better. Um, pretty much, it's with vision in particular, it's a straightforward process. Uh, we have two basic levels of which a person is evaluated. One is called statutory blindness. This is where a person's vision is to the point where it's 2200. It's an automatic allowance. Um, if it's not statutory blindness, then we have option B, which is where we evaluate the individual's ability to perform work-related tasks in regards to their vision conditions. This usually starts at around 2100 vision. And keep in mind, this is also best corrected vision. This is not uncorrected. Um, the process itself is five steps. Step one is, is the person currently working and earning what we call sufficient gainful activity? If the person is earning sufficient gainful activity, then we, they're not disabled. They're working, they're, they're earning money. Step two, the individual has a condition, medically determinable impairment. We'll move on to step three. Step three is, does it meet or equal any of our rules for disability? If it meets a rule for disability, then they're an allowance. If it doesn't meet a rule for disability, then we have doctors on our staffs that will create an assessment on that individual based on what they believe the individual can still perform. From there, we move on to step four and step five. Step four, can the individual perform any of their past work? If the answer is no, then we move on to step five. If the answer is yes, then that person is unfortunately denied. Move on to step five. Can that individual perform any other work within the national economy? This is where we get separated from things like VA disability and, and workers' comp. We start looking at any and every other job in the national economy that this individual may or may not be able to perform. If they cannot perform any work within the national economy with their conditions, they're an allowance. If they are able to perform jobs in the national economy, then they're denied. If the case is denied, it can be appealed. It will come back into our office. It will be assigned to another adjudicator like myself and to another doctor. That's required by federal law. If they look over everything, any new conditions, any new evidence, and it's an allowance, then it's a reversal, then it stops there. If it's a denial, then at that point the claimant has the right to protest it before an administrative law judge. Administrative law judges can kind of do things a little bit differently than our office. They have a, the ability, what's called de novo, it's a legal concept, to where they can disregard previous decisions. They're a judge, they can do it. They can usually, it's based on their opinion of the evidence versus whereas my office is held to the letter of the law, they can kind of interpret the law and this is where people tend to get allowed at more often. And that's pretty much it for the, for the entry level. I have a question and I've always wondered this. I know there are certain cases, right, when a person's denied that you will call the Social Security person and say, hey, you know, we're denying this person. Uh, I think mainly like in possible suicide where they might be potentially suicide people or people like, you mm -hmm. know, that might claimants that might commit suicide. You call them and say, uh, call this person and tell them we're denying their claim. I always wonder why DBS didn't do that. I, I, my thought was, you know, why do I get stuck with a job? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... Uh, yeah, so that was uh, one of my main, and also he was talking about presumptive uh, disability, mm -hmm. and I think one thing that was always tricky for me is the fact that not just because you think, well, a 
this person should, you know, not every case is like a presumptive div, right? I mean, like, no. Uh, no. like HIV, for example, you might think, well, that definitely is going to be, but that might not be, so. The root, I got two parts on that. I'll start with the presumptive disability because I think it might be the easier one. The presumptive disability, um, Presumptive disability is where we look at a case and we know for a fact this individual is going to be an allowance. As he pointed out with, with HIV, at one point in time that was pretty much automatic, yeah, we're going to allow this person. Um, the rules for that have changed, um, I think as recently as 2014, 2013, somewhere in there. Um, how we evaluate HIV changed um, to be more consistent. Before it was kind of black and white, now we're given kind of a playroom area to where we are able to allow people more easily with it. With uh, the However, with that though, there came a push to not necessarily um, give out presumptive disability on those cases because they were going to be easier allowed. SSA didn't want to pay the extra money. <laughs> so, on cases with presumptive disability now, we look at them for like stroke victims with like <coughs> breathtaking paralysis. They're just not able to move anymore. Um, they can't function. Those are pretty much automatically presumptive disabilities. Um, the ones that are not considered presumptive disabilities are individuals, let's say they have back pain, and we look at their backs, and it's mostly mild degenerative disc disease. Well, that's it can produce a certain level of pain, but it's not going to be enough to, to allow them. It's not... I mean, Pretty much anything that's an upright walking human being is going to be is going to have a certain level of degeneration in their spine, mild degeneration. We're all susceptible to gravity, um, but people that have more more serious conditions, even cancers, we have compassionate allowance cases where the well, like breast cancer in particular, if it, the cancer has gone metastatic and has started to move into other areas of the body, that person's going to be compassionate allowance. They're going to be allowed no matter what. Um, People who come, I'll go back to vision for a second. People who come into the social security offices and it's, they have a, an obvious visual impairment where they can't even get to the claims rep's desk, those cases will probably be flagged for presumptive disability right out the gate because we're more than likely going to allow that individual. Um, I think that kind of answered your question. Is there both parts of it or? No, that's it. That's it? Okay. In this state, can you get Social Security if you're, if you're an illegal immigrant? Can you get Social Security if you're an illegal immigrant? In other words, like something, yeah. Um, as long as the individual has a Social Security card and they're paying into the Social Security system, they do get access to their benefits. I mean, they are paying Social Security tax. As I'm exploring retirement, mm -hmm. somebody suggested me, to me the other day, that uh, I wouldn't necessarily have to wait till what Social Security tells me 66 years old in four months based on my birth year. Okay. Uh, that I could, in fact, leave my current employer, qualify for SSDI, get, right, get, get paid through that system until I reach the age of 66 and four months. Yeah. And then switch over. It would roll over, yeah. And does it matter how I've left my current employment? In that? SSA, um, from, our, from my office's standpoint, we, we're kind of on an ad, don't ask, don't tell policy. Um, SSA, for the most part, just knows that you left employment, so you stopped earning sufficient gainful activity on that date. Sufficient gainful activity um, for individuals that are non-blind 
this year, which is probably going to change next year, um, is a little less than $1,200. I think it's $1,180 a month. For individuals who are uh, blind or low vision, I want to say it's around $1,700 or $1,800 a month. So they have a little bit higher cap. Now, what that means is that a person who has a vision disability can potentially work earning up to $1,800 a month versus a person who is you know, non-vision related, they can only earn less than $1,200 a month and still draw disabilities. Does that make sense? Um, now, for, for your case in particular, we see a lot of individuals who are uh, they're starting to retire out. That's fine. So the Social Security office will run the numbers as far as whether or not you qualify. But we see a lot of individuals who hit 63, 64 years old, and they go and they look at, you know, for early retirement. And the claims rep will advise you saying, look, if you've got severe health conditions, you can apply for disability and you'll get access to those benefits earlier. Now, here's how the rules for disability kind of work. Um, anybody over the age of 55, 60, and starting to get around that 65 mark, the rules for disability are becoming exceptionally more lenient because we as an agency have to justify sending an individual back out into the national economy as an older individual with severe health conditions. The national economy pool for that individual is going to start to shrink the older they get. So, for example, if a 20-year-old applies for disability and they cite that they have C, well, say COPD, we'll say asthma and backpacking, just two easy ones. Odds are that person probably can't be a construction worker anymore with back pain and asthma at 20 years of age. But they can go and move on into other jobs in the national economy based on their age and education level. Now, take that same to those same two conditions, but you make that person 55 and 60. Well, it's going to be very hard for that person to find work at that age because the the hiring person is going to look at them and say, well, they're older and they've got health conditions, and I'm, the most I'm going to get out of them is maybe five or six years. So they're probably not going to hire them. We have to take that into consideration, and we do. If we don't, we get in trouble with our with our national reviewing offices. <laughs> what is the cap on a person who's visually impaired or blind of the gross amount that they can make a year uh, that is a question I would defer to the Social Security offices, and the reason why is because they have a grid that they go by on that, that our office doesn't necessarily have access to. Um, I know that the SGA amounts, what we consider to be sufficient gainful activity, is what we use to whether or not the individual is going to consider. If a person's earning SGA, we can't find them disabled. If they go over that amount, um, there's potential that they could lose disability benefits. Now, whether or not they take a penalty, if they're on disability for a certain amount of time, whether or not they take a penalty on it, I'm not entirely sure. I know that the FOs give a lot, or field offices, I should say, give a lot of leniency on that uh, for visual impairments. Um, but I want to say, just to be safe, I would not earn more than 1800 a month just to kind of keep yourself under the radar. Now, there are certain things that they consider to be windfalls, um, but it's just to be safe, just to be under that SGA amount. And that's earned income too, right? Yeah. So you could win the lottery and still... Potentially, yeah, keep your benefits. Yeah. A few kind of jobs that you could get and earn it however much you want and not lose Social Security. What kind of jobs are those? You know, 
couple of jobs that you could work and not, not pay into Social Security? Well, in other words, jobs you can get and not, if, if you make more than 800 or 1800 you won't lose your Social Security because it's not a state thing like where you have to report all the money you're getting from the job. No. No, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. I think it's like a writer or something. Or, no. Unless they're unless they're earning cash under the table and not reporting it, and no. <laughs> not saying this to sound like I'm upset or anything, but I would like to know the explanation to disability as to those on vision or that type, and people that just go into disability for retirement, the difference in the allowable working. How is that justified? Like. Uh, visual, visually impaired can uh, make up to 1800 mm -hmm. and non can make up to possibly 1200 Yep. Is there uh, a reason for that? Is there... There is, and its name is Congress. <laughs> um, back, I want to say it was in the mid-80s or early 90s, um, there was some advocacy in, uh, in Washington regarding the SGA levels for people who had vision conditions versus people who were didn't have them. And they were able to pass certain laws in regards to that that were allowed a person with vision issues to get more money. Um, now, as far as it being revisited and gone back over again, they haven't done it yet, but also keep in mind this is SSA and, and the federal government. So. <laughs> very informative. Thank you so much for joining us today. Page 3, the Sound Prince Calendar. On December 17, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold a board meeting at 8 p.m. by phone. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On December 21, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout from 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. December 21 is also the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind Christmas Party. From 7 to 9 p.m. at the City Goat Restaurant, 404 West Pike Street in Covington. For information, Call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On December 27, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. This is a great activity for those who have begun experiencing vision loss or who have had vision loss for several years. Held at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On December 28, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its final roundabout of the year from 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. Looking ahead to the new year, on Tuesday, January 1, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will be holding its first conference call of the year at 8 p.m. at 669-900-6833, code 3572-595-193.
This is a combination of business meeting and support group, and all are welcome. On January 3, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its monthly conference call for blind lions from around the country. This is an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to become more involved in local clubs and to find out what others are doing in their local clubs. At 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 712-432-3900, enter code 796096. On January 4th, the Greater Louisville Council of Blind will have its roundabout, education and technology from 3 to 5, discussion time 5 to 6, dinner $6 per person, 6 to 7, games and crafts from 7 until 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On January 5, Mary Ingalls, The Frontier Years, from 1 to 3 p.m., at the American Printing House for the Blind Museum. My sister Mary is the reason I am a writer, said Laura Ingalls Wilder, the celebrated author of the Little House books. Mary lost her sight at the age of 14, and Laura became her sister's eyes, describing the world around her so her sister could see as well. Without her sight, Mary was expected to perform her share of the tasks in a frontier family home, house cleaning, cooking, laundry, sewing, looking after children. How did she do that? Our guests, exhibitors, and presenters are some of our museum friends who are blind or visually impaired. We'll also sing along with some of Pa's fiddle tunes, weave a beaded bracelet, the same as those Mary made for her sisters, and celebrate Mary's birthday with a cake made from Ma's recipe. Dressing as characters in the Little House books is encouraged. This is a free event, but there is limited space. Best for all ages. Registration required. Call 502-899-2213 to sign up. On January 6th, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Committee meetings will be held. 7 p.m. is Advocacy and 8 p.m. is Education, Activities, and Technology. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On January 8th, the Support Alliance for the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have a meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church in Owensboro. For information, call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418. January 9, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its conference call meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at 605-475-4700, intercode 155619. For more information about NKCB, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On January 9, the KCBPR Membership Committee will hold its meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call at 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595-193. January 10, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a support group meeting. This is an in-person meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. 
For more information, call 502-895-4598. On January 11, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its roundabout, Education and Technology, 3 to 5, Discussion Time, 5 to 6, Dinner, 6 to 7, Bargain Table, 7 to 7.30, and Bingo, $2 a person from 7.30 to 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call to sign up at 502-895-4598. January 12th is the Greater Louisville Council Board Meeting at 11 a.m. By phone, call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On January 13, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation will have its chapter meeting at 8 p.m. by phone. This is the regular monthly chapter meeting for visually impaired people under 40 years old who are members of the Kentucky Council of the Blind who are or who are interested in participating in the chapter. The number is 669-900-6833, and the code is 3572-595-193. On January 13, ACB Families invites everyone to participate in our first teleconference of the year. The January topic is always financial in nature, and this year we will have a financial planner from Ameriprise with us. The phone number is... 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. The call will take place at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and all are invited. On January 14, KCB Next Generation will have its nationwide conference call at 8.30 p.m. on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-3900. 595193 For questions about the Next Generation National Conference call, contact Amanda Salm at 502-750-1774 or email her at alsmoot, S-M-O-O-T-87, at gmail.com. On January 18, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5, Discussion Time 5 to 6, Dinner 6 to 7, Games and Crafts 7 until 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598. On January 20, the KSB alumni will hold a board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On January 21, The Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its January board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 669-900-6833, intercode 3572-595-193. And on January 23, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call 859-259-1834. On January 24, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have another support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. And on January 25, GLCB will have another roundabout Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5. Tip Sheet, 5 to 5.30. Page Turners, 
with your chance to share good books with others, as well as a Tri-State Library users meeting from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, and KCB Next Generation activity, games and crafts beginning at 7 p.m. For more information and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. On January 27, will be an ACB Families Support Group meeting, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. On January 28, is a Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana membership meeting, 7 p.m. by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. Looking ahead to a couple of important meetings, February 23, 24, and 25 is the ACB mid-year meetings, including the President's Meeting, ACB Board Meeting, and the Legislative Seminar and Visit to Capitol Hill. And July 5 to July 12 is the 58th ACB National Conference and Convention in Rochester, New York. More information on both events coming soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.